0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome today to Bible study here again. It's a great thing to be able to settle ourselves down as we begin our our day and talk together a little bit about the Bible, a restful, very significant thing to do. And so I invite you today. To join me in this time together. Just relax and know that the Lord is going to teach us something new. Teach us a new perspective on some things. I want to start us out, if I can, by offering a prayer. And uh, I invite you to pray with me. Let us pray. Now, Almighty God, you've given us this good land for our heritage. We love America. We humbly beseech thee that we may always prove ourselves a people mindful of your favor and happy to do your will. Help us to be of sound learning and good manners. Give us no violence, no discord, no confusion. Take away all our pride and all our arrogance from every evil way that we may go. Defend our liberties. Take care of the people that are brought here from many different lands and many different tongues. us obedient to your law and to the praise of the nations, may we have our times of prosperity. Fill our hearts with thankfulness in days of trouble. Help us to always trust in you, Jesus. Our Savior and Lord, Amen. Well, it's Philippians again. Wow, we're just enjoying our time with this wonderful letter of Saint Paul to the church at Philippi. We've had done a lot of background thinking about Philippi, but one of the things, obvious things about it that I've neglected, is that Philippi was the first church in Europe. Uh, Philippi actually is considered to be in Europe rather than the Middle East. It's uh, in a nation called uh, Macedonia now, but it had been a part of Yugoslavia or Bulgaria. It's that underside of Europe right there just above Greece and Turkey. Interesting place. Paul goes there and does a ministry there, <coughs> guided by the Holy Spirit. And this is the first church In Europe. Having said that, today, with God's help, we're going to look at his second of four chapters. The second of four chapters. I'm going to go from verse one on through verse 18. And we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit, some of the things in there. But I want to read that to you and I'm going to use a version which is Easy to understand because I think that's Saint Paul's intention is to be understood and understood simply. So it's 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 a living living Bible. It's a very uh, easy to understand version of the Word of God. And if you ever get one, you you'll love it and you you'll like looking at it. But it's not the most scholarly thing you can do because because it's not an actual version of the Bible. It's a, a paraphrase. The, the gentleman that did this paraphrased the Bible. So there may be some things in it that you won't, you won't agree with and rightly so. <clears throat> but I have chosen to, to begin and here it is in the second chapter, verse one. Is there any such thing as Christians cheering each other up? Do you love me enough to want to help me? Does it mean anything to you that we are brothers in the Lord, sharing the same spirit? Are your hearts tender and and sympathetic at all? Then, make me truly happy by loving each other and agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, working together with one heart, mind, and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and in what they're doing. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but he laid aside his mighty power and in glory, taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men. He humbled himself even further, going so far as actually to die a criminal's death on a cross. Yet, it was because of this that God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name which is above every other name that At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dearest friends, when I was there with you, You were always so careful to follow my instructions. And now that I'm away, you must be even more careful to do the good things that result from being saved. Obeying God with deep reverence. Shrinking back from all that might displease Him. For God is at work. Within you. Helping you. Want to obey him. And then helping you do what he wants. In everything you do. Stay away from complaining. And arguing. So that no one can speak a word of blame against you. You ought to live live clean innocent lives as children in a dark world full of people who are crooked and stubborn. Shine out among them like beacon lights, holding out to them the word of God. Then, when Christ returns, How glad I will be that my work among you was so worthwhile. And if my lifeblood is, so to speak, to be poured out over your faith, which I'm offering up to God as a sacrifice, that is. And if I am to die for you, even then I will be glad and will share my joy with each of you. For you should be happy about this, too, and rejoice with me for having the privilege of dying for you. And there ends a reading for today. A passionate piece. You know, some scholars say that Philippians is not one letter, but at least three. It's hard to see it, if you're looking down on it, but... If you look at ch- chapter 2, verse 13, it seems to bring the M into that long little that little Christian hymn there. They say that's a, a hymn inserted into there. We're talking about Jesus humbling himself even further at verse uh, 8, going so far as to die a criminal's death. But look at verse 12. It seems when it ends at verse 9, it seems to start up again at verse 12. Dearest friends, when I was there, see, as, as it seemed like another letter's in there. So it could have been what's known as the Philippian correspondence. We know Corinthians is like that. Particularly Second Corinthians is made up of several dispatches or several letters. So this could be a correspondence here. But the people back closest to it decided that this should be considered as one document. And we are grateful for that. And they probably know more about it than we do, looking back on it as scholars, since they had it in the front of them. But it's a wonderful text to consider. It's heavily theological in its nature. It uh, it just is 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 loaded with technicality for uh, a theologian to to consider. It, it's it's a challenge cloaked. In a mint coat, underneath all the softness and the beauty of the verbiage, is really somebody concerned about somebody. Paul is concerned about these people. Because you see, the thing that he tells them he wants them to do is necessary because he has heard that they're doing the opposite. Follow me on that? It's like somebody sending, you getting a letter from somebody and that person knowing you did something wrong, and then telling you how you ought to be right, see, how you ought to be right. It's a gentle way of coaxing out of you uh, obedience to what he thinks is essential and desires that the church should be. Because he loved that church very much. That church at Philippi met his emotional, yes, but his actual physical needs. That woman, that woman from that town at Tyari, I can't pronounce it, Tyatara, Tyatara, Lydia of Tyatara, was a wealthy woman. Now, we, 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 this is some speculation here, but the fact is she was a seller of this purple, which was extremely expensive dye. It's made from a Mediterranean mollusk that fishermen trap and they get that blood out of that thing or whatever it is and that mucus or what have you and it goes into making <clears throat> this purple dye purple being a combination of, of, of red and blue put together those two colors come together and make this wonderful wonderful, beautiful magenta color which she was using and selling and therefore she was rich those women buy that river In Acts that uh, Paul encounters turn out to be his supporters, his biggest supporters. And he never forgets them. And this correspondence now is to a church who has developed around those women, developed in that place. And the topic that he's on is is humility. He wants these people to settle down and act like Christians because they haven't done done that. They're arrogant. Stubborn, prideful people. Now, I mentioned that that Philippi was an existing town today. It was a large town in that day, but it was an arrogant place. Arrogant place. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of soldiers there. A lot of, a lot of things to make them think they were somebody. And they had some resources, which a lot of people didn't have. And so they were the opposite of humility. And so the topic today is humility. Be humble. He wants them to be humble like Jesus. Paul perceived Jesus as a humble person. A person who was full of, of, of putting himself lower. Humble means low. And it's a Latin word, not a Greek word. The Greek word void is much more complex. But this is a word. Humble means that you're low. You low yourself down. Low yourself down. C.S. Lewis um, an theolo- Oxford theologian who wrote many books, but I guess the favorite is the Screwtape Letters. Christians love the Screwtape Letters. Written by C.S. Lewis. He's dead now, but he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let me run that by. It's <laughs> kind of complicated. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, Thinking of yourself less. I don't know about you, but I I don't think much of myself too much. I mean, I'm neither here nor there. But on the other hand, I do think about myself a lot. (laughs) Do you? you? Is is yourself the subject of most of what you think about? Well, if it is, then Lewis is on you, and so is St. Paul. We've got to stop thinking so much about us and what we have and what we're doing and think more about others. It will make you happier. It will set you free. That's freedom in humility when it comes to you. So let's look at this thing together here. About this this little challenge that he makes. First of all, there's certain essentials that humility has to have of a person who is humble. And they're and you. They're shown in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And it's the word unity. They're unified In their love for one another, verse 1 and 2, unified in love, unity in the spirit and the purpose. Okay. They love one another spiritually and have purpose together. That's the state that he wants that church in. That's what he wants that humility to produce in those people is love, spirituality, and purpose. And he gives the example of humility. He holds up for the example of those people to see the ministry of Jesus on this earth. Well, Jesus was a walking, humble man. His, his whole nature was humility. And Paul mentions that the pain that he went through. For even though he was God, he did not cling to his rights as God. You remember the old line from the song? He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Well, see, that picks up on that that nature of Jesus and the painful nature. He laid aside his glory in chapter 2, verse 7, laid all that aside, took on himself the nature of a servant. One One of the things that the Roman Catholics have is a, a, a service called the Chapel of, of Humility, in which you, you visit Jesus's moments of humility in life. One of them was a, he was a baby in Bethlehem. You, you ever think about how humble that is? A manger in there with the livestock, just born like that. That that's a symbol of his humility. He was born in humility. He was humble with his parents all through there when they. Recover him lost in Jerusalem. I must be above my father's busy humble, humble. Washing his disciples' feet. What an act of humility that was to get out on his hands and knees and take those feet and wash them and, 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 and sense upon the healing that comes from that. He looked upon himself as he laid aside his glory and humbled himself. And then finally, of course, he becomes obedient and dies on the cross, Paul says. Paul says that the theology of the cross needs to be aware of now for its sake of humility. That Jesus is humble when he dies on that cross. And obedient to forces that he could have knocked out of gear. But he went through it for you and for me. When That's why the old great preachers say, if you will just preach the cross, uh, it, it, it does all the good work for you for you. Uh, Lay off all that other stuff and just preach the cross. Just preach the cross. And the cross will do its own work for Jesus. Well, if you think about that, dying on the cross, you think of the the, the gain that came by. What what good did Christ get from that? Well, God exalted him to the highest place in heaven in verse 9. Gave Jesus a name above all other names on this earth. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. You remember that two times. Someday all people will acknowledge that He is Lord. This Bible says we will kneel and kneel to Him and acknowledge that He is Lord. The devil will do it now. You put pressure on the devil, the devil will kneel to it and, and acclaim Him the Lord. Well, that's, that's the example. See, if I'm going to ask you to do something, I ask, I show you, point you to an example. See, example of Humility is Jesus. That's what Paul talks about. And then he he, he does a thing called an A he, uh, he, uh, he sort of rouses them up. He, he exhorts them. He, he gets on to to, to to let God be perfect in you and in his salvation. Don't complain about nothing, he says. Hey, work on yourself about that. Just make up your mind that for the rest of the day. You're not going to complain about a single thing. And I guarantee you, you'll feel better because it. All the pressure that you put on yourself will be gone. Just don't complain about nothing. And shine like a beacon in the dark world. It says there in verse two fifteen. I mean chapter 2, verse 15. Shine like a beacon, like a beacon. A lighthouse sits on the shore to tell you to stay off the shore. It's a warning, a warning. One of the brightest lights in the Christian condition warns, warns you away from it. Warns you away. Uh, great old preachers used to used to be nothing. To get up on Sunday morning, do nothing but give out a warning, you know. And if people believed it, and they would be better people in this dark world. Hold mm-hmm. on to the word of life. Rejoice with Paul in his sacrifice. He says, "Remember me." He keeps. He says as he says in two seventeen and eighteen, "Rejoice with Paul. Rejoice with me." Even though I die, I'm going to die for you, even though I'm going to stay in this jail until I rot, I'm going to love you to the end of time. And that's that's how those verses play themselves out. Well, let me mention a couple of things that come out, come tumbling out of this of a theological nature for you to consider. You go to church on Sunday morning, you notice on the altar table or you lit two candles up there burning may be a bunch of flowers and other stuff, but there's going to be two candles on that day. And the reason for this the church expresses the nature of Christ in those two candles. One, he's divine. Two, he's human. His text tells us that. It connects us electrically to the word of God that Jesus is both human and divine at the same time. as a hypostatic union that exists between those two things. That come to make the only man that was ever born like that, that that union of the human and the divine, all at the same time. Now, another thing I want to put you aware of is that this notion of humility—who going to be the humble—sometimes can become a uh, competition in church people, and they'll get get to thinking that I'm more humble than you are, and all you—I'm more humble than you are. I drive an old broken-down car. Well, I drive a, I, I had to get here by walking this morning. And, and there's a time when that gets, sometimes that happens. And, and I know you just don't want that to happen. But it can happen. Uh, competition over humility. And sometimes it has happened in the history of the church. People will begin to flagellate themselves, beat themselves with things in order to get pain and, and, and go down that street of being, i more humble than you are. Don't, don't, don't do that. that's not the intention of this text. It is to be dependent upon God, to be dependent upon your brothers and sisters in a humble and a beautiful way. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King's doctoral thesis was on a German theologian named Martin Schleiermacher who said, religion is feeling the absolute dependence of God. Do you feel that? If you feel that, then you're getting close to what this text is trying to get you to do. Get yourself so that you're completely dependent upon God and what God would have you to do in this world. Well, God working in you to save you. He's working in you to save you. But you must work too. You must work, Must learn some of the magic and wonderful wonder of the virtue of humility. You must work together, you and God, on your salvation. That's what John Wesley said, I me, but that's the truth of it, right? work together. Well, we've come to the end of our slice of this deck. I hope you've learned something from it. at least how deep water it is out here. what well, it's deep water this morning, but I, and you had to get over your head a little bit, and I did too, in order to come up with this for you today. But listen, may the Lord bless you in all that you do. Make up your mind not to complain today, but to be humble and to shine like a bright light in this world so that others will see how much you love them. So I bid you farewell in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bye bye. Bye bye. You gotta settle. Ave o erro e crio bem em mim, Estrela alva, brilhe em mim, brilha a luz que é nudo no meu viver. a luz que é no do meu viver, estrelas, alva fria em mim, brilha a luz que é no meu viver. we Shut up!